0: From the States to Poland and back to Canada, I am talking to an incredibly smart, creative, and entertaining person today. You are gonna absolutely love this interview with Trevor Longino. He is a marketing specialist who works with uh, primarily startup companies, tech companies, and he's giving us so many fantastic tips about marketing and client attraction and how to make that process better in your business but he also talks about how to make your internal processes and systems a lot smoother, a lot more predictable, and optimizing them so that you can get the best from them as you move forward in your business. You are gonna absolutely love this interview. I certainly enjoyed myself, and I can't wait for you to hear. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Well-Paid Creative Podcast, where we discover how to run a profitable and satisfying creative business. I'm your host, Gabrielle Chipier, and I'm going to share with you what I've learned in my 17 years as a creative pro, building my own business from barely scraping by to thriving. From attracting quality clients to charging what you're worth and creating amazing work you love without the risk of burnout and overwhelm but I don't know it all, so in this podcast, we're going to learn a lot together as I interview experts and reflect on my own experiences, both the good and the bad. Before we dive into this show, if you want access to free resources, trainings, and a community of creative pros just like you, hop on over to wellpaidcreative.com where you can find all this and more. All right, let's dive in. Hey, welcome back guys. I have Trevor Longino on the podcast today. I'm so excited to talk to him. Trevor, welcome on. Thanks. Hi. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit more about you. Where do you come from? What do you do and how you got to be where you are today?
1: Sure. So I'm originally from the States, uh, from Florida. And then as is, as everyone does, I moved to Poland, lived there for seven years, and then went to Canada, which is the obvious next destination. Uh, and what I've been doing consistently throughout all that time is marketing principally for startups, although for almost any kind of tech forward company would do, um, working as CMO, head of marketing, call it whatever you will. Really, mostly I'm just a copywriter with pretensions of grandeur. Uh, As both my parents were English teachers and I grew up with like that was writing was the thing I had to do well or else suffering would be, would would ensue. So uh, all my skills kind of build upon this ability of communicating clearly and distinctly. And then what do you do with that? And what I've come into over time is a discovery of as I've helped launch 50 or so startups over the years, there's a repeatable system that helps these startups get up off the ground. And it works, could work for most any business, but my focus is in SaaS startups and it works really well there because margins are high. So you can afford to move fast and not necessarily optimize every step of the way as you go. So you can go real, real fast, learn something and then execute on it. Whereas if your business has a narrower margin, you've got to go kind of more more slowly just to make sure you don't bankrupt yourself. Mm -hmm. So with that, I kind of decided to start my own company. Well, I've had crowd tamers for quite a while, Where I was like fractional CMO, just do whatever odd job and me doing type of person. Uh, but two years ago, decided to just do that. And then at the very end of this last year, so December of last year, decided to build an agency instead in the middle of COVID. That's the best time to launch a <laughs> business. And, uh, and have been growing it since then. Uh, on the 1st of January, I just did my books for April. On the 1st of January, uh, my costs were not quite 5k a month and I was right, running a freelancer business. I was covering my bills. That's fine. Right now my agency costs 25 grand a month to run because of the teams and the tools and everything uh, and, and doing pretty well, earning well over that still uh, as well, which is that growth pretty fast, right? Here we are coming in eight, in May, middle of May, mm-hmm. uh, growing that fast. And it really does come down to being able to distill what I do into a very focused get startups from zero to $2 million a year in revenue. Mm -hmm. And if you want that, CrowdTamers is your huckleberry. If you don't, then you're going to obviously go away. I won't have to have a sales call with you. You won't be like, can this guy solve my marketing problems? Because could I probably? Yes, I, I very possibly could. But do I wish to? No, I built a team around solving this one thing this one way. And that scales way better than just
0: selling your time. Absolutely. So how did you narrow in on that niche on SaaS companies in particular?
1: So at the end of last year, as part of my, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? I was, I'm 39. (laughs) What do I want to be when I grow up? Uh, Was, what am I good at? Like, what am I uniquely good at? What can I do that nobody else does? Because part of what I teach businesses is how do you find that? And I had never really done it for crowd tamers. I was just like, if you go on archive.org and see my old website, it's like uh, marketing for startups, which is like really crappy punchline, a uh, tagline. And I had never actually dived into my own expertise to think about what I could sell that was uniquely good. So I took some time end of last year to think about it. And as I looked back at what I had been doing with my life, I'm like, I've launched a lot of startups. I have mentored more than 200 startups. I have taught courses to several thousand startups. This is where I am. So how do I make this a discrete thing? And the process I've used of the last four or five startups I was at to get them to north of 2 million in revenue is something I have got a fairly repeatable process in. And I went, well, how do I just do that? And then I, I had freelance clients and I still have a couple who are from back before I made the switch to just doing this. And so for them, I'm like, they're, part-time marketing dude, whatever they need done guy. But for everybody new who comes on board, it is I solved this problem for you in about 16 months, you'll hit this revenue goal and then you'll leave because you'll be looking to solve other problems that I cannot teach a team to execute on at scale and like have fun solving those problems. They can be fun problems, but they're not crowd tamer problems. Mm -hmm. And so by distilling down to that, I've got a team of there's five of us right now, Uh, we can probably handle 10 customers worth of full stack growth marketing, because we're going through this exact process for every one of them. And so it's just a matter of we know where they are in their journey, what they need to do, the exact assets they need, the type of copy they're doing, like it's all mapped out to where the client knows what they're doing. And the team also knows next week, I'm doing this for these clients.
0: Oh, I love that, and if you were paying attention, there, folks. Um, Trevor not only mentioned niching down on a specific industry, but also on a specific problem that he solves, and that yes. is another way of niching that I, I feel isn't really covered a lot, because we all kind of go into this niching concept and we think, okay, well, that's my target market or it's the, you know the services that I offer, but the problem that you solve can be your niche so you can solve that same problem for say a carpet cleaning company or a you know corporate tech company but at the same heart of the matter is that problem so i love how you kind of tied that together in your business
1: yeah that is by focusing specifically on very early stage businesses and getting them up off the ground and then also focusing on startups because i i like them more like i could These same experiments would work for a carpet cleaning business, I'm sure. But that's not where my heart lies, right? People who get into carpet cleaning, cool. I hope you love your job. Not for me, right? Takes all kinds. So I'm over in the tech startup, geeky, nerdy type. You can't see me, people on this podcast, but I have a handlebar mustache and I look ridiculous and I've come to just, that's how I live. Uh, And But that brings a certain nerdiness with it. And that's kind of what I like is weird, wonky tech problems that are interesting to solve.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier that you had a process that you take these companies from. Can you peel back the curtain a little bit and tell us a little bit more about the process?
1: So it is a nine experiment process. I call it grow to market because it has both the ideas of growth marketing and of course, classic go to market. The idea is the first two experiments, I tend to run all these experiments in pairs, except the last three come together in a group. Uh, And the first two are just what the heck are we doing? Right. We have a product. Usually my clients tend to be, they've got a couple hundred thousand dollars in seed funding, or they've earned some money and now they've got to figure out how do we grow? Mm-hmm. And so what the heck are we doing? Right? Who can we get to click on an ad? And what I do here is this is almost all performance marketing based because most any new company, new startup, they don't have an audience yet. Mm-hmm. So there's two ways you can test an idea out. One is to put it on your homepage and wait three months for enough traffic to come in where it is statistically relevant, or you can drop 500 bucks or a grand on ads and see if I target my ads to the right kind of person, will they click? And so the first four experiments are actually all just about driving clicks. You almost don't even care about the landing page. I have a new set of experiments I launched uh, yesterday for my uh, a new client and if you know digital marketing, you know you never send clicks to the homepage. It's the worst place because it's just it's your undifferentiated bucket. And all their clicks are going there because I don't know what their landing page needs to be yet. This is their very first experiment. We're testing top of the funnel what message resonates to your potential audience. Mm-hmm. And then you will find, oh, so like uh, this particular one, uh, they they sell estate planning services. And if you are the executor of an estate, then you frequently get this giant pile of paperwork and legal hassle and awful dumped on it.
0: I completely know because I had to do this twice last year, <laughs> managing two ah, estates. Oh, so, I'm so sorry. A giant pile of paperwork and you have no nothing, no idea what to do with it, basically.
1: Yeah, and you pay the lawyers to do it and they, they take the money from the estate so you don't have to pay them up front and whatever, but it's also like 20 grand and you go, ah, right? Like that's a lot of money to give these guys to just file papers. And so this startup instead, it's like, The amount varies by municipality and whatever, but it's much less, right? And the idea is they walk you through the whole thing because they have lawyers who've basically written how all this works, and they can just take you through like a checklist and a spreadsheet and an area where everybody who's in your family can see where you are in the journey. So like they have a bunch of value prop, cool, but which of these resonates, right? Is it cheaper? Is it faster? Is it better communication for my family so they don't think I'm taking the money and running? Mm -hmm. Like, what is what do I do here as a company to say, this is what the audience most needs? Now, as a marketer who's been doing this for a long, long time, I go for emotional appeal. That's always your strongest resonance is to say, hey, would you rather feel relief? Like, we've got it handled for you. We can tackle it. Would you rather feel trust that your whole family knows you got this and you don't have to worry about it? Or would you rather have the... Uh, the tranquility of I don't have to deal with the fiddly bits is taking care of for me. So testing these three different ideas right now, the clicks go to the homepage. I don't really care yet what those clicks do. In two weeks, we run the next experiment. And then we'll start to see, now I know what message worked. Let me go to the middle of the funnel and make a landing page that speaks to that message. And so if the idea is what everyone wants is the, I don't have to deal with the paperwork. It's, a, it's the relief of just not, having someone taking all this money to do this dumb bit of paperwork job, then you find three or four different ways to talk about that on the landing page, which one converts to signups. Okay. Now we have our first little funnel already built, right? So there's first test is that second test is I now know who clicks on my ads. I now know who actually follows through and converts with demographic information from Facebook and from Google. So I can start to model out my persona, not in a, this is what I think makes sense. But in a here is math and statistics and proof, right? Thousands of people have now interacted with my media. I know who's going to click. And the answer may be, you thought it was the 60-year-old or 70-year-old women who are married to older men and the older man dies. Now they're the estate planner, estate executor. Okay. But you may find out it's actually always the kids. Mm. Even when mom is still around, it's the kids. And then you start to advertise to you know 40-something-year-olds who have recently searched for hospice care or uh nursing homes, right? So like they're, they're looking at parents who are in that stage of their life. And so that tells you how you can take, what is a valuable service here and help people not have to deal with the stress when you've already got a family member has died and you have grieving process you have to go through as well. And then you've got this freaking thing showing up. So like that first couple of steps take you there. Then you begin to test different channels. So, but your, your fifth and sixth round of experiments are we've been doing mostly Facebook. Usually at this point, you can try Google search, Twitter ads, Pinterest, like anywhere, right? Go somewhere else and see if a different channel gives you a better ROI. And then finally, your last three tests are all about how do I optimize this funnel now? How do I find the best options for each iterate, improve, and come to a funnel that will grow and scale to a reliable amount of money, Mm -hmm. which could be, depending on your business, right? Two grand a month, 200 grand a month, like whatever your business is looking to achieve. And then you've conducted this round of experiments and you do it again for another segment. So you build one funnel all the way to the end. You go, great. I know I can get this much a month plus or minus whatever percent. Now I have to build a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth revenue stream and the business grows and scales and it's quite resilient to market changes because if a competitor comes in and totally kills one channel, that's half or a third or a fifth of your revenue, you can survive.
0: All right, we're gonna get right back to this interview soon because it is so good, but I just wanted to ask you a question. Do you feel like there's something blocking you from reaching the next level of income and revenue in your business? If so, I have the perfect thing for you. I call it the profit finder and it's a fantastic quiz that's designed to find the unique key that's going to fit into the lock of your business and discover exactly what's stopping you from reaching that next level of profit. Now, not only are you gonna be able to get the quiz and your results, but you're also going to be able to get the next steps, the things, the actions, the strategies that you can use moving forward to get past this income plateau. Now you're absolutely going to enjoy this quiz and you should definitely check it out today. It's called the Profit Finder again, and you can find it at wellpaidcreative.com forward slash quiz. So head on over there today, answer the questions, get your results, and unlock the profit potential in your business. That's wellpaidcreative.com forward slash quiz. All right, so let's get back to the interview. Mm -hmm. Wow, so that's quite an in-depth process. How long does that usually take you to go through for an average company?
1: 18 weeks is the usual get to the end of the Program, so nine step, but right, every other week. And then we go into the optimization cycle. Whatever you reach in the SaaS space, whatever you reach at the end of this 18 week cycle, usually you'll find your cost to acquire a customer will drop 50 to 70% over the next five to six months as you really optimize it. And so then your experiment cycles become less about what are we doing. And they become more about how do I find the exact right language, make this landing page perform better? Do I bring the social proof up higher? Do I show the the special offer? Do I put a timer? Like all these questions around what forces action, what makes people try it out mm-hmm. is what you're optimizing now. And you ask questions. So for some of my clients who are later on in this process, we're in the optimization phase now, we're looking at things like retargeting ads on Facebook. How are they working? Because they paid for 45,000 visitors in the last 90 days and the conversion rate was whatever X percent, right? But the overwhelming majority of the folks didn't buy, but they cared enough to click, so to retarget. And then we oh, do we try a video retargeting ad? Do you go out to Spotify, hit these people up, right? Like you have a bunch of areas you can go where you start to see beyond the obvious ones. And then you also start to build things like less so now, but event marketing can do real well in the B2B space. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When you know your persona and your message, then you're ready to go to an event because now you have a pitch that you know works. Uh, You might do email outreach and say, uh, email ad, email outreach is basically a display ad. It's just a text display ad of 86 characters. So, okay, how do I make the right 86 character pitch on a B2B sales email that gets you to go, oh, okay, I'll open that. It's all the same, build these funnels up and make what works, works. And it not that it doesn't matter what funnel you use or what channels you use, but you have to experiment and discover because every business is different.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can appreciate that for sure. So as you were building crowd tamers here, is this a process that you had kind of written down and scripted out before you started with crowd tamers or is it something that has kind of come about in the first, gosh, it's only been four or five months that you guys have been really hitting this fast market hard?
1: So it is a process I have had undocumented in the back of my head. And I'm writing this all out. There will be a book eventually because as I make training materials for my team, it becomes a book pretty easily. Mm -hmm. And it's also being published on my blog. Uh, The general idea I taught uh, more than a decade ago when I was in Florida, I had come up with through launching about two dozen startups in about a year. This wow, methodical approach. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: I was VP of marketing for an accelerator. Mm. And I just got everybody in Central Florida who had a startup and didn't know how to market practically, it felt like, came to us and they were like, hey, let's go. And I was, as a side note, 26 and just not competent for the job when I got put as VP of marketing. But after doing it wrong a bunch of times, I began to learn what was right. Mm-hmm. I feel kind of bad for that first maybe five startups who had no chance of success as I was doing their marketing. But I have gone to better, greater things now. Uh, And that process was, I taught it at a bunch of marketing events in Central Florida. I called it scientific marketing because it was you make a hypothesis, you test conclusion, all these. And then I discovered a couple of years later, oh, this is called growth marketing. I didn't invent this. It's been around. I just (laughs) didn't know about it. And so that idea of growth marketing being very analytical about how you approach these things has always been in my head. And these steps were, it was less well-defined. It was just a, you test these, you have to test in order, right? Positioning, audience, messaging, build the optimization. So there's a sequence, but then I've come into this more regimented system as I'm training my team to do it. And I don't know how most people's minds work. I don't even really know how my mind works, but The way it tends to work for me is at some point in the back of my mind where I am not given privy to see behind the curtain, a decision gets made and then a result is produced and given to me. And Frequently, if I write it out, I will discover, oh, this is what I needed to know. So As I'm writing out the documentation for my team and the blog post and whatever, I am learning more about how I've been doing the process for the last four or five years because being Forced to write down, okay, but what is this thing I've been doing has unearthed to me the processes that I had just kind of instinctually been doing as CMO of various companies.
0: Oh my goodness, that is such a great insight, too, because one of the things that I talk to people a lot about is documenting their processes. And on one hand, it's fantastic for if you're bringing on team members or you're teaching something to someone else to take over for you. But on the other hand, it's also incredibly valuable to streamline and figure out exactly what you are doing, because I find that a lot of creative creatives like yourself just kind of do it on autopilot. I've just always done it this way and this is what I do. But when you break it down into that process and you actually document it, then it kind of opens your eyes. One, it shows you that you're doing a lot and you're probably not charging enough for all of it that you're doing. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) And two, it does make it so much easier when you get into that phase where you're scaling or you're growing, or even if you're just outsourcing something, you know, you're getting to the point Mm -hmm. where you're just a little stretched too thin and you just want to bring in an extra set of hands. So that processing and that documentation process, process of processing, it's almost a little bit meta there, but it's so incredibly valuable. Is there any other insights you got as you were going through the the method of documenting everything down?
1: By documenting it among the things I had discovered on some of the processes I had done is you see your own inefficiencies. Mm. Like I would sit down to record a video cast of what I'm doing to show a team member and be like, I don't have to write this down ahead of time, right? I just, I know, like buying Facebook ads, right? I know I've bought Facebook ads for a decade, whatever. I'm going to sit down and record a video. And I would go into it and be like, so step one, you do this. Step two, you do this. Step three, you do this. Step four, you Oh, I forgot step two, the actual step two. I'm going to go back and do step two now. Now here's step four. Now five, oh, actually there's a step after the, the new step two. So there's step two A. And then here's step five, actually here's step three A. And then I <laughs> look at the video and be like, no one can follow these steps. <laughs> and so then looking at that and be like, how do I make this an actual process? One, now my team members can follow it. Two, I, I spend less time doing it because when you're just winging it organically, you get everything ready and then you do the review and you go, oh, I forgot that. Ah, man, I forgot that thing. Yeah, fine, Okay. And having everything laid out ahead of time, like a, a surgeon's operating table where you just pick up mm. the right tool at the right time and do the thing, speeds the process up so much. I have a uh, outbound tool I use for uh, finding new leads. That's a content audit, where I basically do a growth content audit of a website. And it, it's I wrote a post on my blog about it called the 15-minute content audit. And it take it used to take about that, about that much time. As I have worked on documenting it for my team. And then I've done a bunch more of them as kind of outbound recently for crowd tamers. It's about five minutes now, really. So I cut two thirds of the time off by really being forced to think about how do I have everything set up exactly right? And now I have two monitors. So I have a ridiculous amount of screen real estate so I can just have my tools. I have all four of them open Mm -hmm. and just go from tool to tool to tool and then send and tool to tool to tool and send much, much faster. So forcing myself to be better at process, for someone else improves all my processes too.
0: Oh, wow. That's like an incredible quote right there. <laughs> well, this has just been fantastic. So I ask everybody on the podcast this one question, and I'm intrigued to hear what your answer is. Do you have an activity or a hobby that you do on the side just for yourself?
1: A few. Uh, so again, your your listeners can't tell. I'm recording this from what looks like a uh, a hostage site. It's a shed that is unfinished <laughs> uh, that I built at the start of COVID because I needed some place to work because I have a five-year-old boy and now twin, almost two-year-old daughters, mm. and they took over my office. The daughters did, so I needed some place to work from, and I wasn't going to use a WeWork in COVID times, and so I've come to doing some woodworking. I, I'm not a handy person. I've never built anything before I did this, uh, but I had all these tools now and a bunch of wood. And so I'm like, I guess I have a hobby now. <laughs> and so started to uh, do fun projects. Like I built a bike rack for my wife, my son. Uh, I'm building a robot nightlight for him out of you know, scraps of wood lumber. And so like having fun with this is very different than what I'm a very cerebral kind of writer, video game nerd, so it would not have thought this would ever be a thing I'm getting into, but I do that. And uh, I do also, I play banjo for fun.
0: Banjo, interesting. What made you pick it's, up the banjo? It's an banjo? unusual uh,
1: I was living in Poland at the time, and I figured it'd be real easy to be the best banjo player in Poland.
0: <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine it's not a very popular uh, instrument in Poland.
1: <laughs> uh, they are not. You, I did go to a couple of cultural events after I'd gotten somewhat decent at playing banjo, and they would have like the American table and I'd show up to be the American because this is Warsaw in the in the early teens. There are many more Americans there now, but it was still like when I moved there, everyone was like, why are you going to grim socialist, like Soviet, you know, in Poland, the Mother Russia watches you type nonsense. And so I would go play my banjo there and there'd be a flock of people who all, one, never would you expect you play a banjo and people come towards you. Banjo is the instrument you usually play to get guests to leave. Yeah. And so people would come and be like, this is bizarre. What are you playing? And and why why does this instrument exist? It's like a bad guitar. And so uh, interesting, definitely getting to play even some Polish songs you play on a banjo. And they're like, that's, that's subtly wrong and horrible. We're used to hearing polka played like on an accordion or something, not on a five-string banjo. This is preposterous. <laughs>
0: That is so amazing. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Trevor. This has been such an amazing conversation. I'm so happy that you came on the podcast. And I can't wait for everybody else to go check out you at Crowd Tamers. We're going to link down below to your website and all your social media. You can go check out Trevor online, give him a follow and tell him that uh, the podcast sent you. Uh, Thanks so much for your time here, Trevor.
1: Thank you, Gabrielle. It's a great podcast and I had a lot of fun being on it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Well-Paid Creative. All the discussions we have around these episodes mean a lot to me, and I love how much I learn from the creatives who listen in. Before we head out, if you want access to free resources, trainings, and a community of creative pros just like you, visit wellpaidcreative.com where you can find all this and more. Join me for the next episode as we continue discussing how you can grow and love a profitable creative business. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone you think would benefit. Thanks so much. See you soon.